When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Robinson in the bowling! Gone through him! This one was full, but it was straight. And the off stump has gone flying out of the ground. Usman Kawaja's quite magnificent knock with 141. His redemptive hundred, his first on English soil, has finally come to an end. Yes, welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Of course, uh, when Usman Khawaja was bowled after that magnificent 100, as we just heard on the news, Ollie Robinson gave him a send-off. What, 125-kilometre-an-hour pommy fast bowlers are now thinking they're able to give Australian batsmen send-offs now, are they? Let's have a chat about that to Tristan Lavalette. He will be covering the Ashes Test Series, of course, for ESP and Crick Infos and also talking to us very regularly about it. Tristan, welcome to the show. Morning, Duff. How's it going? Not only did Ollie Robinson give him a send-off, he tried to justify it by saying that Ricky Ponting used to give their batsmen send-offs. Ricky Ponting hasn't played since Noah was a kid. Yeah, I'm not sure how old uh, Ollie Robinson was when Ricky Ponting retired, but it was uh, it was. Pretty poor form, wasn't it? I mean, to give a send-off to a, a batsman who had made 141 and completely dominated the attack was probably, uh, yeah, it was probably not the moment to be delivering a, a pretty unsavoury send-off. So it's been a bit of a shame because it's been played in, in good spirit so far, the, the Test match, and um, that was pretty, uh, yeah, pretty bullish behaviour from Robertson that probably harked back some bad memories from the past um, and I don't think we really need that these days and uh, Robertson's got a, a few um, he had a bit of a checkered pass himself so I think he has worked harder to to uh, keep his I guess emotions in check but that was I mean that was pretty poor wasn't it you got to be bowling quicker than 125 clicks an hour mate to be given batsman send-offs like <laughs> seriously I mean Let's get him over here. We'll get him at the Gabba or Perth Stadium. We'll get Lance Morris in there bowling at 150. Give him some chin music. And then when he goes to water and uh, and heads for the pavilion, the, all the Australian team and 30,000 Australian fans can give it to him. Um, <clears throat> okay, so who has the upper hand in this test match now, Tristan? Well, it's pretty much dead even. I mean, that passage of play uh, between the rain breaks on day three only lasted 22 deliveries, but... Two wickets from Australia, very, very vital. And we may have seen a, just a little bit of a, a chink in baseball. Um, remarkably, I guess ironically even, under the, their sort of traditional conditions when it was um, grey overhead and overcast, the ball suddenly started seeming around, more like traditional uh, English wickets. And England, I think, forgot how to be able to defend. I mean, they looked all at sea. And all of a sudden, Cummins and, and Boland were... Um, Every delivery, they look like they're going to take a wicket. And and uh, we saw Australia for the first time look like the, the aggressors in this test match. And Cummins uh, all of a sudden dispensed with the sort of defensive fields he's deployed so far in, in the test match. And they were very attacking. And, and England looked in major trouble. I mean, they quite clearly wanted to get off the ground. It was pretty dark out there, to be fair. 
Zach Crawley looked very annoyed when he was dismissed. I think he thought they should have been uh, not playing at the time. But England, a couple of wickets down, uh, not don't have much of a lead. Of course, they controversially declared in their first innings. Probably they could have added maybe 40 or 50 runs. Um, so it's very well poised. And I think, to be honest, it, it might really just depend on the conditions here in, on day four. If it's sunny and, and flat again, uh, England probably can have a pretty decent uh, total that would be difficult for Australia to, to chase. But if it's uh, overcast again, then I think Australia might be able to get through them. I think we saw the best of Ben Stokes as a captain too in uh, early on day three. He he kind of almost got the Aussies to get themselves out with the fields he set. It was fascinating. They they started to play the fields instead of just playing the balls they were facing on their merits. Yeah, we saw that with the, the Kawaja wicket, which obviously, unfortunately, has been overshadowed, but it was you know very good captaincy. It was almost an umbrella sort of field where all the the fielders were sort of close um, to the wicket and it sort of forced Kawaja to kind of play play square and, instead of straight and he went down the, the pitch and, and got bowled by a Yorker. So um, Ben Stokes is, as we've we've seen and, and heard about for the last 12 months, he's a very inventive captain. He does some, some strange things at times. Like I mentioned earlier, the declaration was a, a little bit baffling and uh, bowling... Harry Brook, first change in the, the first innings, uh, Australia's first innings, who's, I guess, you could maybe describe as a, a part-time seamer, but that's probably been kind to him. But um, it, it was, he does some very, very strange, unconventional things. But he also, um, you know, he, he's very attacking. I think they are very well planned. They have uh, set plans for, for, for each batter. We saw that with Travis Head. They bowled short at him, something India didn't do. They uh, back their attacking fields. Even when Moen Ali, uh, the spinner, was was bowling, he he can be pretty erratic. But they uh, they've sort of kept the attacking fields and, and tried to make Australia hit hit uh, over the top of the field. So and that brought about heads wicket actually. So and we saw that on day three, uh, early in, in on the day where they were bowling short at Australia's tail and had a lot of fielders close to the the wicket. So and, and that paid off. Uh, dividends at, at the end of Australia collapsed um, quite quickly there. So you've got to be really impressed by his captaincy. He's uh, always thinking um, sort of one step ahead. It's, it's very exciting. I'm not sure I agree with everything he does, but it's certainly, um, yeah, it's very entertaining cricket and, and who knows what's, what's going to happen. I mean, uh, it's very, very difficult to, to say. I mean, you wouldn't even be surprised if he declared it only 200 in front. He's he does some uh, unusual things, but it's, it's making for some very compelling cricket. Cam Green in the gully. He's a, he's a massive asset for the Aussies, isn't he? It's just incredible how a guy who's six foot seven can uh, just be so agile at that position. He gets um, he's very athletic. He's got a, a big wingspan, so he gets down very quickly and got huge uh, huge hands, I think, so it's sort of once it's, it's there, it sticks. But he's taken now three unbelievable uh, catches low to the ground in, in the last two tests. So he's probably the, the best um, gully fieldsman at, at the moment in the world. And, I mean, really, if you look at the history of, of test cricket, someone at his size, it's almost, um, you know, apart from probably Joel Garner um, in the 
classic, uh, the famous West Indies side of the, the 80s. And then he was also around the same height as Cameron Green, and a very good uh, fielder at, at Gully. So apart from, from him, I think it's pretty unheard of to see someone at his size be able to just have that athleticism, agility at that position. Is Usman Khawaja now the key to our batting lineup? He just he's so steady and he can stay at the crease for so long. All the others have to do is really bat around him, and uh, and we're going to get uh, reasonable scores. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. It's just incredible his uh, rejuvenation since he's won his place back in the, the lineup and playing as an opener. He's averaging around I think sixty seven now, and from from 10 tests since his uh, recall to the side because if you think about earlier in his career, he was batting mainly at number three. He was very patchy. I mean, he did have an average around 40, um, but he sort of he had some very good innings but would go through some slumps. There was always a question mark whether he could uh, handle high-quality seam bowling. He's very good against the spin, but there was always some doubts whether he could... Um, he, he sort of he could get through the tough um, opening bowlers, and he always traditionally struggled in the UK conditions. But he, uh, yeah, he's just been rock solid. He's just so consistent at the moment, so settled, and can bat the long haul. I mean, he's batted, uh, I think, now uh, four times. He's faced more than 300 deliveries, which is a massive effort. And like you said, he he's just that rock at the top at the moment. And some of the other guys can can play their shots like Head and we saw Green. And Carey as well in the, in the middle order were able to kind of bat around him and, and build some really handy partnerships. So, yeah, Kawaja at the moment seems like a, a, a massive key for Australia. Obviously, there's still the David Warner question mark at the top and, and he uh, once again succumbed to Stuart Broad uh, in the first inning. So that just places even more responsibility on Usman Kawaja's shoulders. Yeah, and there were commentators who suggested that Warner dragging on was a bit of a freak occurrence. But when you play with the angle bat like he does when he hits that drive, um, you're a really you're an elevated chance of carving it back onto your your stumps, aren't you? And he he, he does play with the angle bat. Yeah, exactly. Especially in those conditions, it was very smart bowling from Stuart Broad. I mean, he they they sort of tied Warner down early and. Day three. I mean, Warner looked pretty good actually, very uh, late on on the first day, and uh, he got through that testing sort of four over burst, and, and then early on, on day two he got uh, in a bit of a, a rut there. He couldn't score, and and Broad sort of dished one wide, knowing that Warner wanted to get a boundary and make a bit of a statement against Broad, who's been a, a nemesis for him for for many years, and and uh, he sort of played on. And, Again, the, the question marks continue with Warner. I mean, if he, he fails in the second innings in Australia, do lose, then the UK press, we know, are pretty savage. They're going to go right after him and uh, place uh, even more pressure on, on, on Warner and, and the selectors. Uh, but, yeah, I, I suspect he'll, he'll probably play in the second test no matter what happens. But, um, but yeah, that's, it's going to be a, a massive second innings for David Warner. Moeen Ali's finger. How big is that going to be in the, come the second innings, given the nature of the pitch and what it's likely to do, and given the state of that finger? It looked, uh, uh, when they had the camera close-ups of it, it, it didn't look like it was uh, going to be ready to uh, to throw out a few rapidly turning offies. Yeah, it was almost uh, 
perhaps you could say almost a bit maybe reckless from from Stokes bowling him so much in that first innings. I guess he had no option, but uh, Moen bowled 29 overs and I think it was 18 overs straight at one point. And it's a big, big step up from four over spells in T20 cricket to all of a sudden having to to bowl massive long spells in Test cricket. And he uh, obviously hits his uh, spinning fingers to succumb to that. And I mean, Moen's a very erratic bowler himself. He obviously he, he bowls some, uh, shall we say, pies that can get dispatched. But he can bowl some uh, wicked uh, sort of deliveries and sharp spinning deliveries. And we saw that when he, he got Cameron Green with a one that spun very sharply through the the gate there. And and uh, yeah, I think if, if he can't bowl in that um, the, the fourth innings, um, that's going to be a, I think a pretty big key because. The wicket has uh, has spun a little bit, and uh, England don't have too many other options. Joe Root is a fairly handy part timer, but yeah, that that could be a, a, a huge huge uh, moment at the Test match if he can't uh, play. What did you make of? Well, I guess on the Australian side of this ledger, what did you make of um, Nathan Lyons bowling in the first innings, and how important will he be in this uh, in this innings three that England are currently playing? Yeah, I mean, he's always just such a pivotal uh, figure for Australia for, for 10 years now. And England's going to go after him. That's the, the way they're, they're playing. So that's always going to um, provide some wicked opportunities for, for Nathan Lyon. And, and he's just such a crafty, canny, cunning bowler. bowler. And he's been uh, he's just so experienced. I think he, he can handle getting hit for a few sixes. And he was pretty pivotal in that on day one. He got a very early wicket uh, before... Uh, lunch uh, on the first day to just sort of stem the tide there and and was probably the, the pick of the bowlers but I think he, he'll definitely have a role to play on day four especially if the pitch does, um, if the conditions are a bit more favourable to batting uh, you know England's going to go for it on day four I think uh, Ben Stokes has publicly said he doesn't play for draws so that suggests that he's probably looking to hopefully I guess from an England point of view, declare by, I would say, key, give them four sessions, so they're going to go after it. But it'll be really compelling to see if it is overcast conditions again to start day four, whether England will, uh, well, you suspect they will, but how they'll be able to cope with uh, the seam bowling of Australia's quicks um, and whether they are, I guess, brave enough to, to really counter-attack that because what we saw briefly on day three, it was very, very difficult to to be able to do anything against that uh, kind of sort of wicked seed movement. Yeah, well, clearly that's why they ask for the dead track, isn't it? They want to play this yep. game and they want to go hard at the ball and that means you need a flat deck. Um, so, yeah, if it's um, if it's moving around through the air or off the pitch, then I, I think they're going to struggle. Um, what do you think the wicket will do in the last two days? Well, like I said, I think it, a lot of it would depend on um, the, the sort of fickle English conditions. I think day four, the forecast does look pretty uh, pretty decent for, uh, I think it's fairly sunny for most of the day, and, but day five does look um, a, a little bit more erratic. So I think because the way England played in that on day one, uh, there's still a lot of time left and there probably should be a result even if, if there are some uh, rain interruptions. So... If, if the weather uh, forecast holds, then that could probably play in England's hands. I mean, today's uh, a pretty nice day to bat. England might be able to 
get on top and, and set some kind of target over 300 and it's Australia on day five uh, facing all of a sudden theming conditions. We know Broad and, and Anderson in particular are, are masters in, in those um, traditional more theming con- uh, conditions and Australia could be in real trouble. So I think um, you probably have to give the edge to England a little bit just knowing that a chasing is, is always difficult but right now it's about as even as as you could ask for. That was the thing that, that flummoxed me a little bit with the way the Aussies went about it when Stokes started setting the field and he, he kind of smothered um, Kawaj's ability to score and, and Usman got frustrated and, and yeah. tried to shift the game along. With one of their fast bowlers 36 and the other one 40, if they want to stay out there and do that, let them and just just pad the ball around a little bit and, you know, keep them out there for another half an hour, let them bowl a few more overs. It's going to be a very compressed Ashes series. And the more they bowl, I think, in Test 1, the better it's going to be for Australia in Tests 2, 3, 4, 5 and 6. So it, um, that the the quick approach that the Aussies... It's almost like they got sucked into wanting to do what England do uh, when, for us, maybe just keeping them out there and letting their oldies age a little bit more while they're out there is, is not a bad play. Yeah, that's, that's a good call. I mean, the thing that England do very well um, with the, their approach is they do, I guess, suck teams into playing fast and, and furious uh, cricket. We even saw Australia in the field on day one. They look pretty ragged, and especially their outfielding uh, at times, which is, I mean, Australia's fielding usually is a, is a strength uh, of theirs, but uh, they looked a bit all over the shop just because it was such a frenetic style of play. And, even with their batting, there, there was, as you said, there were times where Australia, uh, yeah, I think they probably got caught up with the, the whole uh, sort of baseball style them, themselves. But um, obviously with England playing, uh, sort of adopting a, a very attacking field, sort of lent itself to it. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just a fascinating sort of, uh, style of clashes, uh, England are almost trying to upend the conventions of, of Test cr- cricket and how you play it, and Australia are probably playing a bit more of a traditional style. So I guess we'll see uh, which one uh, sort of trumps uh, in, in this series. But at the moment, it's completely dead even, and I think it's going to be an incredible uh, day four or five. It's going to be a bit of an extended day four. So for everyone uh, listening, uh, it, it could be a pretty late night tonight. So... Do we get a result and who wins, Tristan? I think there'll be a result. I mean, that's just the way England play unless there's going to be uh, two days of showers. Uh, right now, I'd probably just still have to favour England. Just I think uh, if they can get a lead of around that 300 mark, it's, it's very difficult to chase, even if they are a, a bowler short and obviously the, the main spinner. So I'll still probably favour England slightly. I think they've had the they've been the front runners for most of the test match apart from that brief spell yesterday. So I would probably favour England, but who knows in this test match. That's one thing we've kind of learned over the, the first three days. It's very, very unpredictable to read what's happening and you just don't know what's going to happen from sort of passage to passage, which is making for, yeah, really exciting cricket. So I think so far it's uh, living up to the hype. Tristan, thank you so much for joining us on the show and thanks for your thoughts on Test 1 of this Ashes series. It is going to be fascinating. Two contrasting styles. Ben Stokes has dared to be different and uh, love the way he captains the team. So uh, look forward to seeing how it unfolds. Thanks, Darth. Have a good one.
What do you think? You can have your say on the Temperate Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or you can call us on the open line on 13 12 55. We'll be back with more after the break.